everyone, if you'd like to stand and sing with us. We're going to sing page 10, How Great Thou Art, and then um, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
Shaver immediately said, mm-mm. I could be the bus driver. I, I could be in the audience, but I couldn't help you sing. Psalm 63 uh, will be our scripture this morning. Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. And, uh, we're still using... This handheld mic, we're waiting for the new transmitter to come in that they sent the wrong piece for. 
week before last. And so hopefully it'll be here soon. But uh, for now, this is what we're going to use. Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Any of y'all in here watch old westerns? Yeah, so, some western watchers in here? Yeah? Uh, so let, let me ask you now, when you watch these old westerns, have you ever seen the star of the show lost out in the desert? H have you ever seen that, that, that star that is going to, he's going to make everything right in the end. But for some reason, he's out in the desert, and around him, as you look at the scenery, is sagebrush, rattlesnakes, and scorching sand. There's no water to be found anywhere. As a matter of fact, the camera shows vultures overhead just circling, waiting for what? Waiting for him to die. He ain't got no water. He's going to die. And then... In the distance, this cowboy, the star of the show, looks at the distance and sees a beautiful pool of water. He drags his tired body over the scorching sand. He is headed for that water. He, he can taste the water. He reaches out his hand for the water, and it's not there. He grabs a handful of scorching, dry sand. Because he has seen a mirage. He thought that it was real, but it wasn't. I'm not sure of the explanation for a mirage. I, I've heard all kinds of things. That I don't really know if it's just mental, if it's a reflection from somewhere else through the atmosphere. But anyway, in the movies, that old cowboy just knew he was saved because of the cool, fresh water, and all of a sudden, it's not there. All of his time, all of his energy has been wasted. He crawled. I, I mean, he looks really bad. His face looks blistered. He, he can barely move, and, and he uses all of that energy to get to more sand. And there he is. Well... There are people today in our society who remind me of that old cowboy who's looking for something to quench his thirst. But I'm talking about people who are looking for something to quench their spiritual thirst. I believe that every individual ever born is born with the innate desire to know something spiritual. To know someone spiritual. I think everyone is born. They are born with a sin nature. But they're born also knowing there's something missing within their heart. Something missing within their life. And they're striving to find whatever that is. That, that will quench that thirst that they have to reach 
something. They may not understand what. That they think that if they can reach it, it will satisfy them. Now, now this takes many forms as to what people are reaching for. For some, they're reaching for work. They are people whose whole identity is made up of their work. They're preachers. They're pastors. Their whole identity is made up in being a preacher or a pastor. That they don't feel like they have any, <clears throat> any self-worth without doing that. They're, they're people who work in factories. They're, they're people who drive trucks. They're, they're people who do whatever. That their whole identity is tied up in what they do, the work that they do. And they're thinking that's going to quench that thirst that they have. For others, it's in relationships. That they are those who go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship because they're looking for something, they're searching for something. And they think, well, this man or this woman, if I have a relationship with them, then it's going to satisfy me and everything is going to be okay. That they're searching for their identity through their relationships. And then there are those who find their identity in how much money they have. They check their bank balance. They check their investments. They check the stock market. They check every account they have to see how much they have gained this day or this week or or this year, and, and they think that the more money that they can gain, the more wealth that they can make, then they, they are finally going to arrive at that point that they are trying to get to. There are even people who find their identity in their education. They, they want this degree and that degree and another degree, and, and the more degrees they have, the more fulfilled they think they will be and the happier they think they will be, and it's like, Oh, if I can just go to that school, if I can go to that university, if I, if I can get that degree, then I, it's, it's going to be so much better. And then there are people whose identity is all about their recreation. They've got to have the best gun. They've got to have the best bow. They've got to have the best hunting property. They've got to have the best uh, bass boat. They, they, they've got to have the best seats at the stadium. They've got to watch the best ball team. They, they've... They, they, they've got to have the, the best RV. They've got to have the best motorhome. They've got to go to the best campground. I, I mean, it's all about reaching that level. And they think that once they reach that level, then they're going to feel satisfaction. But what they all find is the same thing that the old cowboy found. There is no lasting satisfaction in reaching that no more than he thought he was going to get a cool drink of water when it was all just hot sand people spend years and years sometimes their whole lives trying to quench a spiritual thirst that God placed in them to know him and they think they can quench that thirst just by having more or doing something else, or, or a different relationship, or whatever it may be, they, they think that that's going to take care of that thirst. But in the end, there's no true satisfaction found. They're yet miserable people. The thirst is still there. Well, I'm glad that I can tell you today that there is a true spiritual quenching available. 
and it's not through wealth or education or work or recreation or relationships that that true spiritual quenching is available through what God can do for us individually. And there are two steps that are involved in satisfying this thirst that I find in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 63 that I want us to examine this morning. The first step in God quenching our spiritual thirst is to join with David in his proclamation. What was David's proclamation? He says, Oh God, you are my God. He made a proclamation for the world to hear. He made a proclamation for God to hear. He made a proclamation that God was his God. When he did that, he was proclaiming a personal relationship with God. He didn't say, I've heard about you, God. He didn't say, I've read about you, God. He didn't say, I, I wonder about you, God. He says, no, God, he says, I, I know you. You are my God. And I believe that the psalmist is saying that he knew God as his creator. We know the Bible in the first 11 books of Genesis talks about the creation of the world. Well, th that is not the end of creation because each new babe that is born is a creation of God also. So I, I think the psalmist is here referring possibly to the fact that God created everything in the beginning, but also he's saying God created me. We, we're all created in the image of God. He, he says God was his creator. God was his sustainer. But when you begin to look at God and you begin to say that you are my God, then you understand that it's only through God that you are sustained day in and day out. I, I mean, if you live in this world, there's going to be some dark days. There's going to be some difficulties that come your way. I, I've never met a believer yet that did not have difficulties to deal with just like that lost neighbor. God has never said that as believers, we're going to be exempt from trials and tribulations. He's never said that we'd be exempt from a, a need for finances or need for health or need for food. I, I mean, we are no better than a lost person in that we also face difficulties. But the psalmist knows that God is his sustainer. Even in the darkest of days, uh, over these last few days, I've sent out some text messages about Job because I've been reading through the book of Job. And even in the Job's darkest days, and man, he had dark days. His days are darker than my days have ever been. Lost possessions, lost, lost family, had a wife that said, cuss God and die. Had three friends who came to give him comfort that he ended up pointing their fingers in his face and saying, well, you've done something. Well, I don't know what, but you're guilty of something, and so therefore God's going to punish you for it. But in all of it, Job never lost his faith in God. He could have, but he knew that God was his sustainer, even when the whole world turned against him. God was his redeemer. When you say, God, you are my God, well, to have that relationship with God, you have to be redeemed first. We're not born as a believer. There's a gentleman that lived over the Chester area when I was pastor over there that uh, was well known in the area. And somebody asked him how long he had been a Christian. And he said, my whole life. 
no one is a Christian their whole life. We become a Christian when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, reveals to us of our need for a Savior, and then we accept <coughs> Christ as our Savior. That's when we become a believer. Now, I was born into a good family. Dad was a deacon. Dad led the music at church. Mom was WMU director. Uh, I mean, they were involved in anything and everything at church. But just because I was born to George and Lola Kirkland, just because I was born going to church, I, I was in church nine months before I was born, and, and I was in church every Sunday after that, just because I did all of that, I can never say I've always been a Christian. It was only as a young boy when God convicted me of my sins that he redeemed me and I became his. And so because of that, I could say, oh God, you are my God. So, so David made a proclamation. He proclaimed a personal relationship with God. He also proclaimed a personal responsibility to God. Think about it. The word responsibility is not found in these verses. But if I say, God, you are my God, doesn't that lead to the understanding that if he is our God, we are responsible for our relationship with him, to him. We are responsible for our actions that would reflect upon him. If he is my God, my actions will reflect upon him. My words that I speak, my words that I write, my, my attitude, my, my, my whole being, the way I treat my family, the way I treat strangers, the way I treat the, the needy and the down and out, all of that, Reflects upon my God. So I have a responsibility to him, and the psalmist had a responsibility to him, just because we say, oh God, you are my God. I said there are two steps in this thirst being quenched. First is to join with David in this proclamation, you are my God. But the second is to join with David in his practice. What was it that David did? Listen, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I what? I seek you. To seek. How many of you ever played hide and go seek? Anybody in here? Anybody in here really good at hiding? Brian, where did you hide? Underneath the desk. Underneath the desk. Right, who else was good at hiding? Sharon, where did you hide? Behind a tree. Behind a tree. <laughs> where else did y'all hide? You said, oh, you don't remember? Greg, where did you hide? Climbed up the tree. <laughs> and, and then there was somebody who had to do what? They had to find you or they had to seek you. That's what it's called hide and go seek, not hide and go find. Hide and go seek. You had to go seek them out. You had to look behind the trees and up in the trees. I had to look under the desk. I mean, you had to look everywhere to find them. Well, in a sense, this is what the psalmist David is saying. I, I, I seek you. I'm, I'm looking for you. A better example, a biblical example, would be the woman with the lost coin in Luke chapter 10. The woman who had 10 coins and she lost one. Well, she still had nine coins, 
But that woman, for whatever reason, it was really important to her. Maybe she needed all ten coins to pay a bill. Maybe she needed all ten coins to buy enough food. Maybe she needed all ten coins for who knows whatever. But the scripture says that that woman who had lost one out of the ten says that she lit the candle and started looking. She got her broom and started sweeping. She was going to find that lost coin. She was seeking it. And when she found it, she rejoiced and told all of her neighbors, Ha, I found it. I, I lit the candle, I got my broom, and I found that lost coin. She was seeking after it. The psalmist is saying that I, I am going to seek after you, God. I am seeking after you. Well, we, we really can't seek God until God first seeks us and saves us. But then once God saves us, then we in turn should be seeking God. When should we do that? Well, I've got listed at least three times in life that we should be seeking God. Number one is early in life. The statistic I read several years ago said that 90% of all believers are saved by the age of 24. After the age of 24, it gets harder and harder for an individual to be saved. Not impossible. But the longer you go and the more hardened you become, the more life is dealt blows to you, the harder it becomes to trust a loving God and accept his will for your life and his way of salvation. So we should be teaching our children early in life that they should be seeking God. We should teach our grandchildren early in life they should be seeking God. <coughs> Not just early in life, but early in the day. I, I know we're all different. How many of y'all like to sleep late? Anybody in here like to sleep late? Come on, raise them up high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many of you like to get up early? Yeah, yeah. But we, we are house divided at 100 scenic driving lines. I think 9 o'clock at night, it's time to be in the bed. 6 o'clock in the morning, it's time to be drinking coffee. Rhonda thinks midnight is a good time to go to bed. And about 10 is a good time to get up. Any, anybody else got a house divided? Yeah, yeah. Well, so we, we're all a little bit different. But honestly, whatever we consider to be early, I consider six to be early. Greg considers four to be early. That's ungodly. <laughs> but some might consider nine or ten to be early. But whatever you consider early, wouldn't it help if we started seeking God early in the day? Praying as soon as we wake up. Praying as soon as we get up. Read some scripture as soon as we get up. Begin to reflect upon him as soon as we get up. Seek God early in life. Seek God early in the day. Seek God early in problems. How many of you have ever had a problem? I didn't say how many of you have ever married a problem. I'm not going to go that deep. <laughs> There's one raising a hand that I'm not going to call his name. <clears throat> dear. We, we all have problems. How many of you 
Try to handle your problems yourself. I'll raise my hand. How many times have we tried to handle our problems ourselves before we went to God and say, God, help us with our problem? Yeah. Wouldn't it be a lot better if we asked God early on in our problems? If we were seeking God early on? I ran across a saying several years ago. I don't know where it came from. It says, the wise man does it first, what the fool does at last. The wise man should seek God first. The foolish man will seek God later. After he's already made a mess out of everything. I'm sure some of you have tried to fix problems without consulting God. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of you have created bigger messes trying to fix that problem than it was to begin with. We, we are to seek God at least three times in life, early in life, early in the day, and early in problems. And, and well, So the question then is why? Why is David seeking God? Why should we be seeking God? Well, in verse 2 says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. It, and that combined with verse 1, I, I, maybe I'm reading into this. I don't think I am. I, I would say that David has a present need. I don't know what the need is. He doesn't specify it. I don't know what issue he's dealing with. But, but he is saying, God, you are my God. And he's saying, I, I'm, I'm seeking you, God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. So he, he has a, a present need that he is looking to God for guidance and help with but not just his present need but because of his past experiences in verse 2 says so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary past tense I, I have looked upon you in the past I have looked at you before during worship I, I, I have tasted of you before I, I think here he's referring to the fact that he's had past experiences that he went to God and he saw God in the sanctuary, and God did the work that needed to be done for him. The more we call upon God, and the more God answers our, our prayers, the more that God confirms we're his, even if we don't get the answer that we're looking for, the more he confirms that we are his, that the more likely it is that when we have a new need, that we go back to God again and again. And again, based upon the fact of where God has brought us from in the past, we, we all have a past, don't we? Well, isn't it great that we're no longer in that same past that we were in, that God has delivered us from that, brought us to this point where we are now? But it doesn't mean that we're where we're going to end up in five years or 10 years or 20 years from now. But because of what God has already done in our lives, which is what I think David is saying, because of the, the past experiences we've had with God and, and how that he saved us and cleansed us and, and has provided for us and given us all that we have, <clears throat> then I can take present needs to him also. Does God always answer my prayer the way that I want him to? 
No more than my mom and dad always gave me everything I asked for. Did your mom and dad, did, did they give y'all everything you wanted? If so, raise your hand. Well, there's nobody raising their hand in here. Well, there's one back there, and mama's saying, yeah. But my, my mom and dad never gave me everything that I wanted. Man, if they had it, Bob, I'd have been a spoiled brat. Worse than I am. I, I mean, I am the baby of the family, so you, that, they, you got that right there. Saying I'm probably spoiled. But, but parents, we, we listen to children ask for things. I mean, right now, with uh, Melissa and her family at our house, we, we hear uh, grandkids asking for things that they don't always get. They're told no, and there's reasons for it. Do they understand it? Not on your life. Oh. Donna, did you ever do that when they told you no? Did you ever go? <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sure Stephanie probably did. Also. Both, both Stephanie. Man, we've got two Stephanies. I've got to be careful now. I might get myself in trouble. But how many times did you ask for something and you just knew that you were going to get it and it's going to make your life so much better and then you didn't get it and you went, Sometimes we're the same way with God. We say, God, give it to me. Give it to me. I want it right now. And God's silent. God doesn't give it. There's reasons for it that we, we don't know the reasons for. Hopefully, eventually, we will know the reasons for. But if we're trusting God, if we're seeking God as David is, then whether we ever get an answer to the reason shouldn't really matter because we are trusting him just like I, I trusted my parents. Oh, did it make me mad that I didn't get what I wanted? Of course it did. I got over it. But they still provided me food and clothing and shelter and took care of me and loved on me. So even though I didn't get everything I wanted, I got enough from them to know that they really loved me and cared for me. That whatever I didn't get, it would be okay. And at 68, I, I don't think what they withheld from me really hurt me. You know, I, I think I turned out semi-okay at least. Sorry, don't you be grinning too big back there. Spiritual thirst. We, we, we thirst for things that we know not of sometimes. And, and people are trying to feel that spiritual thirst. With things of the world. And just when they think that they're going to satisfy that desire, they find that it's temporary. I'm sure you're like me and you've read stories and heard news reports about people who've won the lottery. They've won millions and millions of dollars. And man, they are set for life and everything is going to be wonderful for them. And then you begin to find out the great number of them in a matter of a short period of time have lost everything that they won. And they're back in the very same condition that they started off in maybe even worse 
they found out that that did not really satisfy their longings. We all are born with a longing, a spiritual desire that we want to be fulfilled. Now, let's go back to the cowboy in the desert. You see him? You see him crawling? You see the vultures? Can you feel that hot sand he's crawling through? And he sees that pool of water. And he gets there and reaches out for it. And it's just more hot sand. And the star of the show, that, that cowboy is like, you know, he's going to die. And the vultures are going to pick him clean. And all of a sudden, somebody shows up with a canteen of water. And they lift his head up and they gently pour a little water in his lips. And then he reaches up and grabs it and drinks it all down. Man, in, in about five minutes, he's a new man. He's back on his horse and he's going to town and he's going to settle fast. That water has revived him. I don't think it can revive you as fast as it does on, on, on movies. But, but it will revive you. When we, as believers, are seeking God, and he begins to satisfy that spiritual thirst through the Holy Spirit, we're, we're like that old cowboy. We, we, we all of a sudden come to life, and, and we, we are good to go because he's revived us. So I, I can't revive myself, and I can't revive you. But the Holy Spirit of God can revive each one of us. He can speak the right words at the right time. Sometimes through strangers, sometimes through friends and family, sometimes just through nature. And I've said this so many times, y'all gonna get tired of me saying it, but it's, it's still true. Every time I say it, just walk out in the middle of the night and look into the night sky at the stars and the moon and think about the great God who placed everything there. And it's soothing for me. It's calming for me to know that he's in control of all of that. Surely he can take care of little old me and whatever I'm facing because he's a great God. The psalmist says, God, you are my God. And I'm going to seek you. I'm going to search for you. I, I'm going to be in the sanctuary. I've seen you there before. And I'm going to go back again. Because I know in the past you have helped me through my issues. So therefore, you're going to help me through them again. I can trust in you. And my thirst will be quenched. Let's bow with our heads head bowed and eyes closed. I, I don't know what 